Well, church, um, this morning, as we open up God's Word, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. And I think for obvious reasons, um, maybe this morning would be a good morning for you to actually crack that paper Bible. Um, or maybe for some of you to grab your device and your app and to get there to, uh, to Acts chapter 27. We've got a lot of scripture to cover as we get done to wrap up our series called Church Alive in the book of Acts. And the reason we've called this series Church Alive is because, well, Jesus is alive and he has breathed life into his church into our lives, and he wants to lead us and guide us through our lives in the most life-giving way possible. He wants our good as he gets his glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Okay, good. I thought we were going to be off to a really rocky start this morning, so, okay, if it hasn't been rocky already, but, but, but if, if you're not going to follow along with the, with the verses on Scripture, or you can't, uh, please follow along in the Scripture this morning as we get to Acts chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 1, and this morning we're going to see that there are the plans of our hearts and there is the providence of God. There are the plans that are in our hearts, and then there is the providence of God, and sometimes those things align. Sometimes there are things in your heart, there are things in my heart that we want for our lives, and we want out of our lives, and they're just because we want them. And that's not always a bad thing, although sometimes it can be. And then there are other things that are in our hearts. There are things that we want for our lives. There's things that we want from our lives. There's things that we want to see happen through our lives. And, and they're there because God has placed them there. And God has called you to something in particular. He's put a desire in your heart. He's put a longing in your heart. And it's there because he put it there. And he's going to do everything in his power through his providence to get you there. And I'm telling you right now this morning, if that desire or that longing is in your heart because Jesus put it there, you're going to get there. And if you're not there today and you feel like, oh, I have this hope for this thing then, it's going to happen. And that's what's happening in Paul's life. As we get to the end of the book of Acts, that's what's happening in Paul's life. That's what's going on. That's what's happening in this voyage to the sea and the shipwreck and all that happens to Paul here in Acts 27 and 28, it's all part of God's providential plan to get Paul where he wants him to go, which is ultimately actually where Paul wants to go. God's providence can be defined as, as this. God's providence is, the, is God's caring provision for his people as he guides them in their journey of faith through life, accomplishing his purposes in and through them. And I like that one definition, which is why I've used it this morning. Here Paul is on his journey, and Jesus is leading him exactly where he wants him to go. That, and when I say exactly where he wants him to go, I mean exactly where he, Jesus, wants him to go, exactly where he, Paul, also wants to go. Those things are aligned. Those desires, those longings for Paul are aligned with God's desires for him. We know that because back in Acts chapter 19, Paul says, Luke writes this, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Ikea and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also go to Rome. Paul knew he was supposed to go to Rome. He knew he was supposed to be there, and he wanted to be there. Paul had written to the Roman church, I do not want you to become unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you. This is in his letter to the Roman church in chapter 1. 
But thus far I've been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I've wanted to come, but I've been hindered, and I'm eager to get there because I want to preach the gospel to you. Paul desperately wanted to go to Rome, and for good reason. There are some things that you might feel desperate to do in your heart. There's longings that you have that you're desperate for, and maybe for good reason. Jesus is in those things. That was the case for Paul. And now here in Acts chapter 27, he's finally getting the opportunity to get to Rome. Ironically, maybe not the way he intended to get there. I want to go to Rome. Do you want to go to Rome? But as he does, he finds himself in the midst of yet another hard circumstance on the way there. If Paul wanted to get to, go to Rome, he'd have to live through literally a storm in the process and learn to trust God in it all yet again. And I don't know if you feel like Paul. I don't know if you feel like, yeah, there's these longings in my heart, and I just, I'm not there yet, but I know where I'm supposed to be going. Why are these, all these things getting in the way? And maybe Paul's journey will help us a little bit this morning. I'm going to take us through the journey relatively quickly, and uh, don't be scared, but I'm going to give you, I think, 10 little lessons that we can learn about the providence of God through this journey that Paul takes at sea. It starts in verse 1, where it says, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius in embarking in a ship of Adriatium which was about to sail to the port along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Here's the first quick lesson this morning, that God can work his providential plan even through the everyday decisions of unbelievers. God can work his providential plan for your life even through the everyday decisions of unbelievers. It says, when it was decided, who made that decision? Festus, Agrippa, that whole gang that we saw last week, yes, they made the decision. Who ultimately made that decision? Well, I think we know. Who ultimately made the decision that Paul would go to Rome when he would go? There are all kinds of day-to-day decisions that unbelievers make that affect our lives. Some of these parents talked about the way those things affect their children, affect our children. Decisions that other people make affect our kids. It affects our work. It affects our finances, it affects our church, it affects our future, it affects our hopes and our dreams. Decisions that unbelievers make, it affects all of the things about our life, but as Christians, we have to believe, we do believe, that God could work through all of them for our good and for his purposes. Listen to me, Paul will get to Rome exactly when Jesus wants him to. And we will get to the places and to the hopes and the spiritual dreams that we have exactly when Jesus wants us to. I am so happy. I'm so content. I'm so grateful for my life. And in in the same breath, I have to tell you, I have hopes. Do you? I have dreams. I have things. I have visions that I want to see. And they are in the future. And I believe many, and I hope most, if not all of them, are from Jesus because I'm pursuing them. The journey continues in verse 3. The next day we put out into Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go see his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. I want to pause for a moment and say, if you're a, a guest with us this morning, this is what we do. Like, we just think that God has lessons for us in all of the Bible. So we're going to read a lot of the Bible this morning. It's kind of out of the ordinary, like, we're going to read a lot this morning. But we believe God has stuff for us in here. And um, 
I hope that is encouraging to you. All right, press the pause button again. I think here's a second lesson, that God can work his providential plan even through the events of nature. It says, because the winds were against us. God can work his providential plan even through the events of nature, right? Natural events, the weather patterns, the climates. I just want to tell you, they're not random. Like the, the doctrine of God's providence from the Bible tells us that all means something. It all makes a difference. That God can use those things for his purposes. Jesus knows all about it, and he can use those things, whether they're good or they're bad, to accomplish good and to accomplish his ultimate purpose. As I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking, maybe that's why we've got such great climate in Southern California, right? Like, God has to do something to keep someone here, right? It's like, (laughs) this is all orchestrated by God. It's like, Southern California has to have good weather, because if not for that, we're all gone, right? So Jesus is like, I need some Christians there. Let's just give them a day like this, right? Right. I think that's what it's about. Again, Paul will get to Rome exactly when Jesus wanted him to. And we will get to the places and the hopes and the spiritual dreams that we have exactly when Jesus wants us to. The journey continues. Look at verse 5. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and to Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. And we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidius. And as the wind did not allow us to go further... We sailed under the lee of Crete and Salome. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Here I think we find another interesting principle that God can work his providential plan <laughs> even through difficulty. And thank God for that, amen? That God can work his providential plan even through difficulty. You know, Luke is not wasting words. He's not wasting paper. He's not wasting paper. It was expensive. It was rare. He's not wasting words on this story. It's there for a reason. And he mentions the difficulty a number of times. It was difficult for them to get to Rome, which is where Jesus wanted Paul to go. And praise God, this is true because life is so full of difficulty. I think there is this Christian notion sometimes that if Jesus is in something, it's going to be easy. It's going to be, quote, smooth sailing for us. And that's just not always the way that it is. Maybe, maybe your life experience taught you. Maybe that's not even often the way that it is. Paul had to trust that God would be at work through his providential plan for him to get into Rome, even though it wouldn't be smooth sailing along the way. And the same is going to be true for you and I. The journey continues in verse 9. Read it with me. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Passover was over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, which seems to make sense. I mean, this is what these guys do for a living, right? They direct and sail ships. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. The chance that somehow, you get in this language, they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Another lesson I believe, God can work his providential plan through our wise perceptions and even the supposed wise perceptions of unbelievers. God can work his providential plans through our wise perceptions. Paul is a wise man. Paul has discernment. And Paul looks at the situation and he's discerning, this is not going to go well. 
and we're going to lose a bunch of stuff, and we're going to lose, some of us are going to lose our lives. And Paul's perception was right, and Paul's perception was a little off. No one would lose their lives, praise God. And we make decisions like this all the time in our lives, based on our wisdom, our perceptions, our discernments. God can lead us and guide us through those things, even through the supposedly wise perceptions of the unbelievers. They're like, no, 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 we're heading out. And Christians have discernment into things that are not their area of expertise. Paul was a tent maker, not a ship sailor, okay? But he had some good discernment into other things in life, and there are all kinds of things in life that may not be your expertise, but God, by his grace, will give you discernment and insight into those things. You should listen. Non-Christians can have discernment in their areas of expertise, even though it's not always right, and God can use it to direct us to the places he wants us to go. Paul's journey continues in verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had abandoned, obtained rather, their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempest wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught up and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island named Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship. And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. But then, fearing that they would run aground on Citrus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. We can't even fish for food anymore. It's how bad it is. Then neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I think here we see that God can work his providential pan through the highs and lows of our circumstances. I mean, you get what it said in the beginning that, well, if you could see it, you could see it, but let me remind you. (laughs) Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed out anchors. Like they sat in this port and it looked to them like the water was placid and they were ready to go. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose. This was a high for them. This was a celebratory moment. Like, we get to go. We're moving in that direction. Everything, things like it's lining up in this decision in life. You know, it, it all is moving in the direction now that we want it to go. We're starting to get there. The excitement of some of those highs. And then to see the Nor'easter come right at the end. Now, when the south wind blew gently, they were supposing they'd obtained their purpose. I mean, they thought through their wisdom and through their skill that that all these things were beginning to move forward. And sometimes in life it happens that way. And out of the blue, something changes. You ever experienced that? Luke writes, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I mean, just stop and think about this for a moment. This is Luke writing this. Luke is there and he's saying, all hope was abandoned. Even though we know all hope was not lost, he's saying, it might feel that way. We know all hope was not lost in this circumstance, but to Luke, it felt like there's no hope in this. And I know for some of you today, you're, 
you may be in a situation and in a circumstance in life where you're like, Lord, I feel like you've placed this longing in my heart. I feel like you've put this thing in, in me. You've given me this longing, this love, this desire for something, to go somewhere, to preach the gospel someplace, to, to live someplace, to, to do those things in life with those people and accomplish this ministry endeavor or see this person come to faith or do this thing to contribute to the, the building of your kingdom. Like, I have this longing. I'm not there yet. And matter of fact, not only am I not there yet, everything seems so low right now, it feels like all hope is lost. I just want to remind you this morning, that's not true. It's not true. All hope is not lost. We serve a God who knows everything, who is all-powerful, who is able to accomplish anything that he wants to in any time frame that he wants to. Sometimes it may feel that way. Don't let your feelings lie to you. Hope is not lost. Nothing's lost when we're with Jesus. Amen? The journey continues, verse 21. Since they've been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and he said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> Told you so. And not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, whom I belong to and whom I worship. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told but we must run aground on some island first, okay? <laughs> God's presence in his providential plan for us can bring us peace even when things aren't perfect. God's providential plan for us, God's presence in the midst of it can bring us peace even when things aren't perfect. This angel was an emissary of God. And angels come for different reasons in the Bible, but to share things to comfort God's people. And those are two things that are happening here with Paul. He's sharing news to Paul and he's bringing comfort to Paul. He's an emissary of God to bring the peace that only God can bring in a situation where Paul desperately needs it. It might be good to remember this is Paul's third storm. It's his third shipwreck. He's learned a little bit over time that Jesus can handle this. And so he's at peace with it. But Jesus still sends the angel to bring him peace. Maybe you've experienced that before in your life. I could tell you a couple stories where I, I really believe in my life I've encountered angels, you know, where I, I feel like there's no other explanation for how that happened or how that person was there and then not there or what happened with this. But all I know is that maybe God was comforting me around the death of this person or this circumstance. Maybe you've had a circumstance like that and it's kind of tentative to talk about it with anyone because like, I don't know, do people believe that? But oftentimes God brings his people. God always comforts us by his spirit who indwells us, right? So God comforts us in these situations. He brings peace and rest. You know, older people know this, don't they? Like speaking of like child dedications today, some of you said thank you to your parents. And the older you get and when you become parents, you know, like my parents are pretty smart, you know? <laughs> like my parents are pretty wise. Like they've figured out some of these things. And Part of the reason for that is just through experience. They just learned God's faithfulness over time. A couple years ago, we, we hosted a, um, a gathering here of pastors and their wives, and it was a, 
um, a spiritual formation cohort and just picture this room filled with round tables and pastors and their wives sitting around them. And on the stage were sitting these two guys, Rich Plass and Jim Cofield, and they're older men who have been church planters and pastors and spiritual directors and all sort of thing. And, and you know, like when you shake their hand, it's a little soft. And you're like, oh man, this guy's old, but like he's got some years on him. And it's like, I just want to stay right here. This feels really good. You know, it's like, I just want to be with this person because this person brings comfort to pastors that are hurting and struggling. And every time he was here, Rich Plass would say, you're doing a great job. And everything is going to be okay. And literally, like, you got a bunch of pastors. True, and Rich is like, you're doing a good job. It's going to be okay. Because we learned this through experience. Rich and Jim had learned it through experience. I think the older people in this room would tell the younger people in this room, God can bring you peace even when things aren't perfect. God can reveal his presence to you in that even when things aren't perfect. You should believe that. I think there's a second lesson here, and I don't want us to miss it, and it's this, that God can work his providential plan in the lives of of their unwise decision. And we should tell them that. You know what's interesting about this situation is is Paul says, um, you know, you should have listened to me. And you should have not set sail for Crete and injured this, this loss, you know. But he doesn't say, hey, you should have listened to me, and you know what? You deserve everything that's coming to you, and that's just what you get for living such, you know, apart from God and rejecting his wisdom and, and just sort of gone on and just, just sort of hit these guys over the head with it. But he says, but, but take courage. He shares good news with them. I think sometimes, you know, we could look at our or unbelieving friends or family members. And if you're not yet a believer and you're here with us this morning, we're just so glad. And can we just apologize that sometimes Christians and sometimes even we as Christians might say things like, well, you know, you made that decision and that was dumb. That's just kind of what you deserve. Like that, that's true for all of us. But that's what's so great about Jesus, that he gives us what we don't deserve, right? That's what mercy is. It's not getting what you deserve. And when you get God's grace, we get, we get grace and mercy, and anyone can receive the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so I just love how Paul tells him, yeah, like you should have listened. That's what I was trying to tell you. But hey, there's some good news. It's like, it's going to be okay. And we can do the same thing with our friends and family. Like you're making really bad decisions. Do you see where this is leading you? But look, I got some really great news for you. Right? All right, verse 27, journey continues. When the 14th night had come, this is two weeks as they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther, they took a sounding again, found 15 fathoms. And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down the four anchors and the stern and prayed for day to come. You think? <laughs> oh, please let it be light. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat in the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes in the ship's boat, and they let it go. I mean, this is a desperate moment. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day, and you've continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Isn't it like that? When life is stressful, you, you don't eat. I remember some seasons in life where like, there were just stressful things, and, I, and he's like, you lose weight because you don't eat, right? This is where they are. They're so nervous. They're so anxious. They just don't eat. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread 
and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. Does that remind you of something? Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. There were 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. God's people give public thanks to God for his providential plan, even when it seems that all hope is lost. God's people give public thanks to God for his providential plan, even when it seems all hope is lost. If you're in our reading plan, uh, as we read scriptures at church recently, we read a psalm like that. It's just giving God praise and thanks among his people. And what greater evidence of faith is there than that? Here's Paul saying, it feels like all hope is lost to all of us, but I am giving thanks to God even in the midst of it. How do we respond when it seems like all hope is lost? It's interesting to note the way that they responded. When Paul gave thanks to God in the midst of the moment, just seemed very thankless. <laughs> when Paul expressed his hope and when he took on food, it changed the lives of 276 other people in that moment. Pretty interesting. There's probably something in that for us, isn't there? Verse 39, we're getting to the end of the journey. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land and they noticed a bay with a beach on it on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. I mean, you're hearing this language, right? If possible. So they cast off the anchors and let them to the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes that had tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail on the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck the and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. You could picture what's happening, right? The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest they should swim away and escape, but the centurion wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. Here are those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. God's, God can work his providential plan even when our plans don't work out the way we had planned. God can work his providential plan even when our plans don't work out the way that we had planned. Sometimes when we get in these situations that are stressful, like some of us are really good at just going, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to make a plan, you know, and, and here they are saying, hey, this is what we're going to do, we're going to run here, we're going to get the bow stuck, we're going to flip it around this way, we're going to anchor in, we're going to get off, and, and they know what to do, but it kind of doesn't matter. And sometimes life is like that, where we can make these quick decisions, and it can seem like wisdom, and are actually strategic, and probably actually good decisions, but it just doesn't turn out the way we planned. Same is true for us. I mean, this happens all the time in our lives, doesn't it? The journey continues. Look at verse 1 of chapter 28. We're almost done. After we were brought safely through, when we learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us because we had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and he fastened on to his hand. Never been snake bit, never want to be, okay? Next verse. <laughs> when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or to suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune had come to him, they changed their minds 
and said that he was a god. We are finicky people, aren't we? (laughs) It's fake. He's a murderer. Oh, guys, he's a god in human flesh. I mean, this is the way we—I was an anthropology major. It's like it's what we do all over the world, right? There's no culture where this doesn't happen. We—anyway, we're like this. Uh, There's a bit more rational explanation for these things, okay? I think it's this, that God can work his providential plan even by protecting us from things that would normally harm us. You know, God can work his providential plan even by protecting us from things that would normally harm us. I mean, Pastor David and Pastor Josh the last couple of weeks did a good job walking us through the idea that this whole section is meant to vet the character of Paul, to show, no, Paul is a good and, and, and just man. And this scene is meant to speak into that as well. But, but I think it's really also about this idea that God protects us from things that would normally harm us. So we don't tempt God with these things. We just trust God with them, right? We don't, we don't tempt God and run out into things that are just, I think I've shared with you before the ancient Chinese proverb, right? Life is hard. It's even harder when, it's, when you're stupid. You know, you don't, we, don't, we don't just run out into things for the sake of running out into them when it really is unwise. We don't just go seeking harm when we know we can be harmed, but we don't tempt God with these things, but we trust God with these things. The journey wraps up in verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who had received us and entertained us with hospitality for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. The last lesson this morning is, last principle this morning, I think, is this, that God's providential plan for us may also be part of his providential plan for others to receive the prayer and the healing that they need. Like when we are confident about God's plan for us, we just want to get there. We just want to get to where we believe God wants us to go. I have a desire for this thing, and I just want to get there. I have a longing for this place, and I just want to go. I have a desire to fulfill this thing, and I want to see it happen. I have a longing to contribute in this way, and I just want to be about my business and do it. And all along the way, there's all of these things that sort of hamstring us seemingly. I think we just need to be open that there's something in that for us. Not only something in that for us, but there's something in that for others. I mean, if they weren't on the island of Malta, like this guy, you die of dysentery. I mean, you die of dysentery today. You die of dysentery in that day. Like you die of this. Lots of people die of this in that, in that island. Wherever you are on your way to the thing that you believe God has birthed in your heart, he's placed in your heart because it's a desire from him. Wherever you are along in the journey, I can guarantee you it's not just about you. I guarantee you it's about the people around you. There's something else going on. I mean, Dean and I have experienced that many times in our lives. You know, in some, some senses, very, very pivotal things about our lives. And we're like, why can't we just, why can't this happen? And, and then in the end, you look in hindsight and go, oh, it was that other person. It was this going on in their life. And if that was happening in our life and their life, that would have been devastating to them. For some reason, God held us up. Praise the Lord. You know, it's, it's not just only about us. It's about the people God places around us. Okay, so that was like 10 or 11 quick lessons. 
in under 30 minutes. I mean, that's, that's, that's moving through Acts 27 and 28, okay? But I just want to pause and say there's just a couple more things before we wrap up our time together. I think the larger principle that we're talking about here all, all morning is, is this idea of God's sovereignty plus our responsibility, because we talk about the providence of God and these things that he puts in our hearts and the longings that we have and wanting to go to those places. Like Paul wanted to go to Rome and to do the things he's called us to do. Like Paul wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. Like Dean and I have, we have, we have desires to do all kinds of things later on in our lives and, and, and I believe they're good and godly desires on our way there. It's God's sovereignty and it's our responsibility. The Bible holds these two things in tension. We are either or people, aren't we? <laughs> it's like this or this. We can tend to be, people tend to go to extremes. We just saw it, right? Like he's a murderer, he's a God, right? Like we tend to do this stuff. The Bible's comfortable holding these things in some pretty great tension. I mean, some people, in the, some of you in this room are thinking, okay, well, if God is completely sovereign, then what happens to our responsibility? Like, I really don't need to do anything. It just, it is going to be what it is. So, I mean, I've, I've talked to people even that don't come to church, right? They're like, well, if I'm a Christian, then I'm a Christian, and God knows, and I know, I don't need to be part of the church. I just need to, like, live my life, and in the end, if I'm part of the elect, I'm saved, and that's it, and I'm, I'm, there's nothing I have to do. Ah, uh, hard-pressed to find that in the Bible. Or if, if we are really responsible, then how could God ultimately be sovereign? The Bible holds these things in tension. The Bible teaches us this, that he is 100% sovereign. Do you believe that? You should. The Bible teaches he's 100% sovereign and we are 100% responsible. We are responsible for our choices. We are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for our decisions. We are responsible to plan. We are responsible for our effort. We are responsible for the things that we do, the way we manage our time and our money. And the other. Is God sovereign over all those things? Yes. Can he get us to where we're going besides our mistakes? Yes. And thank God and praise God for that reality. He's 100% sovereign and we are 100% responsible. Everything happens as it has been determined by God and yet our choices matter. So what's that thing that you're longing for? What's that thing that you feel like he's really placed in your heart? It's not just presumption on your heart, on your part. You're thinking, no, I really believe God's birthed this desire, this longing in my heart. What is that thing? And do you see God moving you along? Yeah, <laughs> you know, storms and, and shipwreck and obstacles along the way, but you see him moving, do you see him moving you in that direction? And can you just pause for a moment even under your breath and say, Lord, thank you. And are you doing your part, you know? He's 100% sovereign and you are 100% responsible. Like what one thing could you do when you leave today to help move in that direction, at his direction? Some of you might be thinking something different. Some of you, I think, may be thinking to yourself, why does God allow all these things along the way? Why can't I just get straight there? I mean, I mean when you fly somewhere, do you want a nonstop flight? Can I just see the hands for not nonstop? Right? You want to stop in Las Vegas? No, no. And there are worse places, right? I haven't traveled a lot of places, but I've traveled enough to know like there's some airports you just don't want to be in. So we like the nonstop flight, right? So like, God, can't you just get me on? First class, by the way, would be nice, right? 
little thing for my hand and everything. Just wipe that. Oh, I feel so good. You know, can I just get there nonstop and no problem, no hassle, first class treatment, all the bells and whistles. Everyone watches me get on the plane first. You wish you were sitting here, huh? Yeah, all that stuff, right? Like all of that, that we want a first class ticket to where we're going. And like, so why all the stops? Why all the hassle? Why all the bumps? Why all the turbulence? This is not God's punishment. No, God is not punishing you. God doesn't punish us. He doesn't punish his children. That already happened to Jesus on the cross. He disciplines us. This is not God's punishment for you. And it's not God's passivity. It's not like God's like, oh, I'm hands off on your life. God's not like that. That's deism. We don't believe that as Christians. God's intricately involved in our lives. It's not his passivity. As we end our time this morning, I, I think there's three things that are going on. Three explanations. The first is our good. Our good. This is why it happens. It's for our good. Paul had wanted desperately to get to Rome and believed that it would be for his good. And if he got to Rome, apparently it would have been. He wants to preach the gospel there. Paul already knew it would be this way. In his letter to Romans, in chapter 8, Paul wrote, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul wrote that to the Roman church that he was trying to get to. He already knew that, and he'd already told them. Not all things are good. Hear me. Not all things are good, but all things can work together for the good because God can redeem them in our lives as Christians. Do you believe all things are working together for your good? It's for your good. It's also for your growth. It's for our growth. Like the, our greatest good is that we would grow to be something more like Jesus. We just prayed that for all of our kids this morning. We want them to grow up to be like him. The very next verse, Paul says, Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That, that's what it's about. All of these stops along the way, the turbulence, all this stuff, it's about our good. Ultimately, it's about our growth for us becoming more like Christ. And lastly, it's about his glory. The greatest way God gets glory is is by using these circumstances in our lives that are ultimately for our good and for our growth to make us more like Christ, to get glory, to receive glory out of this in some way, shape, or form. And I believe the greatest way for God to get glory is to look at people that aren't good. We're not naturally good. The greatest way for God to get glory is to look at people that aren't naturally on, on their own good, but to do good to them in the outworking of the gospel. To do ultimate good to them and to do ultimate good in them and do ultimate good through them in their lives when they live like Christ. The next verse says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he also called, he justified. And those he also called, he glorified. Jesus is going to get people to himself someday. And seeing the transformation along the way in the lives of those people, Jesus gets so much glory out of that. So, so while the turbulence, I believe it's for your good. I believe it's for your growth. And I believe it's for his glory. And I believe I had a really great slide to show you this morning for all of that. And if the slide was up there, you'd see the, like, Trinity rings. And at the top, you'd see his glory. And on one side, you'd see your good. And on the other side, you'd see your growth. And in the middle, there's this little area that's, that's colored in. It's a really small little area where his glory and our growth and our good overlap. 
And then there was this cool arrow that pointed to that little spot in the middle <laughs> to show you that that is right where God has you. I believe Village Church right now, today, that is the place, that's the only place God can have you. It's the only place he can have you. He has you right in that little Bermuda Triangle, right? It's just right there in the middle. Forgive me for the sea analogy, but that's, that's the only place you can be if you're in Christ. You know, Jesus um, went before us in all of this. Jesus submitted himself to the providential plan of God. He was part of the plan, and it, he submitted himself to God the Father. Um, here's a big theological term, functional subordinationalism, yeah. Can we all say that together? Functional, subordinate. Isn't that fun? What that means is that Jesus was just equal to the Father, right? Because he's part of the triune God. But he chose to be submitted to the will of the Father in things like this. The very next verse in Romans, and we'll end with this this morning. 8, 31 and 32 says, After all these things, that whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. It's our good. It's our growth. It's his glory. What then shall we say to these things? Like, what should we say? This is Paul writing to the Roman church. The church he's going to see. What shall we say, knowing that all these things are about his glory, our growth, and our good? What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Jesus went before us. Jesus did this before any of us. Jesus lived the life that we could never live, a perfectly righteous life before God. Even in the midst of all the bumps and turns and turbulence and storms, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He lived the life we could never live, a perfect life before God. He died the death we should have died on the cross, in our place, for our sins. God the Father gave him up. It was part of God's plan. It was God's plan before the foundation of the world. It was the eternal plan to do this, to accomplish our salvation. Jesus rising from death to give us a life we could never have otherwise when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in him. And I believe our good news for this morning is, is wrapped up in this and something like this, that Jesus submitted to the providential plan of God for our ultimate good, our salvation, for our ultimate growth, our sanctification, and his ultimate glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want to thank you this morning that in, in the Bible, in your word, there's, there's so many good things that are for our good and that are for our growth and that bring you glory. Even in a story like this, even it's not a story, it's an account. Even in a historical account of a, a voyage at sea, there's so much for us to see. There's so much for us to learn. And there's so much to us affirm. And we just want to affirm you are 100% sovereign and we thank you for your sovereign hand over our life. And we thank you for your providential plan for our lives. And that you'll use all of these things to make us the people that you want us to be, to conform us into the image of your son, to get us to where you want us to go. Ultimately, that destination is with you. And so we thank you for these things. We ask them in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen.